sermon this morning or this uh, little presentation, A Prophet Among Us. God who created the world has communicated with the human creation in a variety of ways. Before sin, he personally talked to Adam and Eve, and we know about that in Genesis 3. I wish I was there. It's wonderful to think that that was part of the permissive issue in the new creation. After sin came, he communicated through angels, Genesis 16, visions with men like Jacob, one of the patriarchs, the pagan king Abimelech, he talked to with a vision about Abraham and prophets like Daniel. These visions and dreams represented a supernatural experience where a person has all their senses intact. They are in a virtual reality, and I like that. It wasn't until recently with all our computers in the computer age that we could understand what virtual reality really represented but the visions God gave people in the past was really kind of a virtual reality. They were really there and experiencing this. And it was something that after they came back to their normal orientation on planet Earth, they could write down exactly what they had seen or talked about. Nearly always the messages that came through visions and dreams were designed to instruct or to inform, often written down and told to somebody else so that message could be repeated over and over again. And much of our Bible is given to us with visions and dreams, and we're still using it today, thousands of years later. They are as distinct as though they were actually present. God said to Aaron and Miriam, Brothers and sisters, I, the Lord, make myself known to you. This was the time of the Israelites, and they were breaking away from the land of Egypt. I make myself known to you in visions. Number three, God's way of communicating special vivid dreams that are very unusual, very out of the ordinary is another fascinating thing. A couple of Daniel's dreams were in that particular realm. Number four, Christ himself appeared to men before the incarnation. And that's a very fascinating study to, to go through. One of the areas that I like to study, and this is part of our ministry, is the book of Daniel. Christ appeared to Daniel personally three different times, and each time he did, he was above some waters. Very profound issues to study and to be aware of. Even though Adam and Eve were driven from the perfect Garden of Eden, God made provision to make contact with sinful mankind through these kinds of agencies, visions, dreams, inspiration in a variety of different ways. Today we think the word prophet mainly means they can foretell the future or look into the future. And it is including that, but it's more than that. These individuals that have visions and dreams 
and certain kinds of inspiration that are really supernatural, they are having messages from God that are to be conveyed to other individuals. It could be a prediction, but often they are very spiritual messages that individuals need to have. And the Bible, once again, is an example of that. Who does God use as a prophet? Well, in Hebrews, it says, And no man taketh this honor unto himself, but he that is called of God becomes a prophet. Hebrews 5.4. Amos said of this kind of calling, Then answered Amos and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet, neither was I a prophet's son, but I was a herdsman and a gatherer of sycamore fruit. And the Lord took me as I followed the flock, and the Lord said unto me, Here's he, he's a herdsman, Amos. And the Lord said to him, Go prophesy unto my people, Israel. So to be a prophet, to have this kind of calling, it's something that God specifically designates and wants them to fulfill a particular position in his work. Most know the story of Saul's conversion on the road to Damascus, a vengeful leader of the Jews against Christians. And he became one of the apostles, later became known as Paul that wrote most of the New Testament. Isaiah, as a young man, went into the temple and suddenly God opened his eyes in vision. And those of you that have studied Isaiah 6 know the wonderful things that he saw. And, and he said, woe is me, woe is me, I am undone because I have seen the Lord Jehovah. So it's very dramatic what can happen when a human being, even before the cross, a human being can have supernatural encounters with Jesus Christ or with God the Father in very special ways. Anyone who God wants to have as a special mission for him his work, his cause, can be called as a prophet or a prophetess, a lady. Didn't that ability to prophesy end with the apostles? Now, the apostle John said something very interesting. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hmm, there's a warning there. That would suggest if there's false prophets going out into the world, and this is after the cross, that there would be true prophets that would be available at this particular time. That means somehow also that a prophet can be tested by certain ways and certain means. Paul later said, and this is amazing, despise not prophesy. This is after the cross. This is after Christ went back to heaven. So the issue after Christ was here, after the cross, means that in the Christian dispensation, in the Christian era, during the 2000 since that particular time, 2000 years, 
There will be times when God needs prophets prophesying to bring special messages to him. Excuse me, to his people. Despise not prophesying. Prove all things. That was written in 54 AD. God planned that there would be continuing messages from him given to special people. He says, be careful. He warns, don't despise them. But when you see someone claiming to be a prophet, prove what they are saying. Prove what? Prove that they are standing up for me, and we'll talk about what that means momentarily. Turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 12. First Corinthians, the 12th chapter, And verses 4 through 11, and then we'll jump to verse 28. Now, there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. Now, this is after the time of Christ. This is Paul writing. There are differences, verse 5, of administrations, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it's the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation, verse 7, of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. What does that mean? For to one is given up, but given by the Spirit the word of wisdom. These are some of the gifts of the Spirit now. To another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another the gift of healing by the same Spirit. To another the working of miracles. Isn't it amazing? All the different gifts that God says he's going to be giving his church. Those gifts are going to be given to help edify the church and forward the movement of the Christian, you know, the Christian people. He's going to give all these gifts, and now look what it says to another. He also gives prophecy. So prophecy is one of the issues. To another, discerning spirits. To another, divers kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. But all these worketh that one, the selfsame spirit, dividing to every man several as he will. And it goes on to talk about the body of Christ, the Christian body, the Christian church. And then verse 28. And God hath set some in the church, first apostles, secondary prophets. What? There it is again. God puts apostles there. We think of those apostles as the great leaders and those that began the great Christian dispensation. But right next to the apostles, he's saying that prophets are going to be in the church. Thirdly, those that do miracles, healings, etc. I'm going to stop right there because of our time. So prophets and the gift of prophecy is something that is to be inside God's church. And so it's a beautiful characteristic that we need to study here more deeply this morning. He even went on to say, Paul did, follow after charity and desire, desire spiritual gifts, but rather most of all that ye may prophesy. Isn't it interesting? 
Paul is very desirous, and so is God through Paul, to get messages to us. Messages that will help us understand the Holy Word of God more. Messages that will help us in our times, throughout the different generations, but especially at the end of time. We have this coming forward as a special gift. These gifts were for the whole Christian era until Christ comes once again. Desire those gifts is the counsel of Paul, especially desiring the gift to prophesy. What does the Bible call such messages that come from God or the Holy Spirit? I'm using one word for prophesy here and focusing on our message this morning. But there's different ways that that is actually defined in the New Testament. And I'm just going to list these briefly without the text. Prophecy, word of God, the Lord's message, testimonies, counsel, burdens. There's different ways this same thing is expressed. Now, the amazing prophecy of Joel, which was read uh, this morning, which I appreciated, no one really knows the date that Joel was written, perhaps 800 years before the time of Christ. But the prophet Joel talked about the amazing things related to the end of the world. He began his book, the little book of Joel. The word of the Lord came to me. That's heaven speaking to Joel. That's how God communicates through these prophets, through these individuals that are to bring special messages to his people. Can you imagine that a man nearly 3,000 years ago was to record a message for us today? That's the little book of Joel, and that's what happened. Ezekiel later spoke of this time. Isaiah spoke of this time, and Joel said, and afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people, and your sons and your daughters will prophesy. This is speaking about the end of time. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. So as we approach the end of time, the gift of prophecy, the gift of dreams, the gift of visions is to become more and more prevalent in God's church among his people. So this is very dramatic and very wonderful. This has been studied by many scholars. One of the gentlemen, one of the scholars' names is Dwayne Garrett. I won't go into the details regarding his background, but the gift of prophecy, he said, will be a sign because it's an end time issue. It will be a sign to God's people that Jesus is coming soon. A mark of membership to the new or final remnant of people, he said. I don't know what denomination he was. It was to be a gift not separated by gender. This gift will be part of God's last day people or his last day church. So we can't look anymore at, with a question mark in our minds if we address the issue of prophecy or prophets or someone that is having special messages from God. From many prophecies, it is clear 
that there is a transition in time leading towards the end which occurred in the years 1843 and 1844. Now, I believe that has been presented here in this series. Is that right? The year 1843 and 44? Not yet. That hasn't been presented. Okay. That's a prophecy that's part of Daniel 8. So if you haven't heard that, that should be coming up. Because of that, it is clear there will be signs, events, and occasions, and dramatic visions after 1843 and 1844. It was during this period, and I'm being very complete, and this is very crucial, it is during this period of time that Joseph Smith had private encounters which would eventually lead to the Mormon church. It was during this period that mysticism and spiritism and theosophy invaded America. And we have written about that a little bit in our ministry, some of the challenges, problems. It was during this time that dispensationalism came in through John Darby in Europe and came to the United States, which would catapult the birth of a lot of Protestant evangelicals. It was in the 1800s that the Jehovah's Witnesses began their work. So it's very fascinating at a time when we know that these things by prophecy will come in more and more frequent and become part of a sign that some of these movements started. So we have to begin to ask ourselves a very important question. Are all these movements important? Are all these movements where God is trying to bring a message to the world? How do we weigh these things? Remember what Paul said, prove all things. We must use something to test some of these things to make sure we don't veer off the path and maybe identify with something that is maybe inappropriate. The Bible has to always be our guide as we weigh some of these issues. I'm going to address four issues here this morning that we have to use to weigh these things. There's many, many different ones. I'm just going to identify with four. Point number one that we have to use to weigh messages that are coming from people, if they make formal predictions, those predictions should come true. And Jeremiah 28, 9 talks about that. Amos 3, 7 said that God does reveal secrets to his servants. So a true prophet might even have special messages to help us to understand or even new ideas to move us forward as we approach the end of time. Some prophecies also are conditional. And if we use the Bible to understand those things, we will be able to apply that to an individual giving special messages. Point number two of testing. Is it apparent that God is behind the message? Well, that's pretty important. And our only way to really grasp that is to use the Holy Word of God and to use some of the principles there. And the person that's giving the message almost always 
unless God is using someone in the Gentile world, which he did a few times in the Bible, they must have a personal commitment to Jesus Christ. Isaiah 58, 11 talks about that. That means they must not be drawing attention to themselves as a prophet. There must be a spiritual or practical meaning to the things that they are also giving. So this issue about the message coming from God must be weighed very carefully. Well, so far, those two points seem very logical and good. But let's move forward to two more. Number three, whatever is said must, must agree with the Bible. Isaiah 8.20 said, To the law and to the testimony, speaking of the Bible, if they speak not according to that word, this word, it is because there is no light in them. So whatever we hear or whatever we see must be weighed or compared to the word of God. Also, they will exalt the true God of the Bible, Deuteronomy 13. They will honor obedience to God's requirements. They will not try to change that. They will teach and believe Jesus has come in the flesh, 1 John 4. Point number four, and this is the last major point I'm going to discuss, they must be witnessed by others as something supernatural not something that's 100% private. And many of the things that I mentioned towards the beginning that came up in the 1843 and 1844 period, many of those things were in private and somebody came out and said, well, I have had this experience. But by doing it that way, it becomes hearsay. When someone experiences something where other people are witnessing, it helps to affirm what is being presented. Well, let's look at a couple prediction tests and moving a little more detailed about really what happened during that 1800 period. There's something else that happened around that time too that had to happen to help us to understand what the true movements of God are as we move towards the end of time. In 1902, a lady warned, and I'm quoting, not long hence these cities will suffer under the judgments of God. She said San Francisco and Oakland are becoming as Sodom and Gomorrah, and the Lord will visit them in wrath. Hmm. Then on April 16, 1906, she wrote, this is a lady, which I think you'll see as a prophetess momentarily. She wrote, there passed before me a most wonderful representation. During a vision of the night, I stood in the, an eminence, a prominence, a hill, whatever, from which I could see houses shaken like a reed in the wind. Buildings, great and small, were falling to the ground. Pleasure resorts, theaters, hotels, and the homes of the wealthy were shaken and shattered. Many lives were blotted out of existence and the air was filled with the shrieks of the injured and terrified. April 16, 1906, 
April 18, 1906, San Francisco was destroyed by an earthquake. Okay, here is a person that's making a prediction and the prediction came true exactly as she had said it would. In 1849, this individual was given a message that a paper was to be published which would encircle the globe, 1849. By 1849, the end of it, the Present Truth magazine was first published. By 1850, it morphed into the Second Advent Review and Sabbath Herald. Today, it encircles the globe as the Review and Herald, plus has a spinoff called The Adventist World, and that is one of the major papers of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. It's interesting because that prediction also came true. Four years, in, 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 correction, in 1910, this lady predicted, soon strife among nations will break out with an intensity we do not now anticipate. In, in correction, four years later, World War I broke out in a massive military engagement, and that involved 100 million people, and that prediction also came true by this lady. Well, who was this lady? She's clearly a prophet. Her things are coming true. Well, her story began as a young lady at the age of 17. While having worship at a friend's house with other ladies, December 1844, she stopped breathing and seemed to rise higher and higher and became part of a vast number of Christians, and she had a vision. She later revealed an amazing experience in that vision of people traveling up and up towards the New Jerusalem at the end of time, affirming that salvation and something beautiful that we can have our hope upon was going to be occurring. She had moving pictures regarding the second coming of Jesus, and she described them never drawing attention to herself. This occurred just months after a great disappointment in October of 1844. Some of you may be aware of that, but people thought back then, there were thousands of people that thought Jesus was coming, and he didn't. And because of that, God needed someone to help bring courage to the Christian world, Christian people. At that time, there were no Seventh-day Adventists, and this was related to many different denominations. And this lady seemed to be coming in and filling a gap at that particular time. It was meant to bring assurance to individuals who were suffering from that disappointment. Jesus really is coming. There really is a heaven. A week later, at her home, another vision came, and she was instructed to begin sharing this with others. Well, remember one of the keys of a person that's truly a prophet is they don't want to draw attention to themselves. And she pled in some ways in vision that we don't fully understand, a virtual reality, if you please. God, I don't want to do this. She was not very strong. She was sickly because of an accident, and 
She says, God, I, I don't want to do this. God says, I want you to do this. And so she followed the counsel that he gave to her after much support from her family. And it wasn't long afterwards that she had the opportunity of speaking with 60 people in her hometown. And she shared what God had told her to share about that vision of going up higher and higher towards the promised land. And this group of people accepted her as someone having something very supernatural that was given to her. This began a career of visions and writings and speakings that would last until 1915 when she passed away. During her time of living, this lady wrote over 5,000 articles in magazines, 40 books that have been translated into more languages than any female writer. Well, what was her name? Her name back then when she had her first vision was Ellen G. Harmon. But it wasn't long after that first vision that she would be married to a man by the name of James White and she became as Ellen G. White. She experienced, it is estimated, over 200 supernatural experiences. Many witnesses wrote about observing her during these experiences. Her eyes were always open. She didn't breathe, yet could talk, and she had a supernatural strength. Her written works covered Bible stories, personal counsel to myriads of people, advice on church organization, special studies regarding salvation, the importance of health and special advice to remain well, amazing guidance to ministers, church leaders, reproving fanaticism. She even helped formulate and organize doctrines from the Bible, including the Sabbath. And that's why we are here today, worshiping on the Seventh-day Sabbath. In fact, she commented or quoted hundreds of different Bible verses in her writings. She's meeting all the criteria of a true prophet. Those comments in themselves are an amazing rich source found in the Remnant Study Bible. Some of you may have that. It's a King James Version Bible with a lot of quotations from her writings. In his word, God has committed to men, this is what she said, the knowledge necessary for salvation. The Holy Scriptures are to be accepted as authoritative. Did you hear that? She's taking her attention in spite of all the books and all the articles she has written. She's taking her attention and focusing on the Word of God. That's one of the key characteristics of someone who is a prophet or a prophetess if it's a lady. So she's fulfilling these things and she's saying, look at the holy word of God. They are the standard of character, the revealer of doctrines, the test of experience. Every scripture of God is also profitable for teaching. And she goes on to discuss the importance of knowing the Bible. Another interesting facet of Ellen G. White reveals her kindness and her integrity. She never wanted to be called a prophet, but simply a messenger. 
Kind of nice, isn't it? Very cautious lady. Didn't want to have attention drawn to herself. She shunned the title of being a leader of the Adventist church, yet she's one of its founders. Yes, this church that we have here. She passionately led thought leaders to be listeners more and more of Jesus Christ. She said, the curtain has been lifted. I've seen the rich reward laid up for saints. I have had a taste of the joys of the world to come, and it has spoiled this world to me. Wow, isn't that interesting? My affections, my interests, my hopes, my all is in heaven. I long to see the King, capital K, Jesus Christ, in his beauty, him whom my soul loveth. Heaven, sweet heaven, I long to be there, and the thought that it is near makes me almost impatient for Christ to appear. Kind of beautiful, isn't it? Praise the Lord for our good hope through Jesus Christ of immortality and eternal life. Isn't that beautiful? It's wonderful how she just oriented constantly. Go back to the Bible. Go back and have a better friendship with Jesus Christ. And she elevated Christ in such a marvelous and beautiful, beautiful way. There are really many Bible tests of a true prophet or representative of God. All those tests, this lady, Ellen G. White, meets. There's one other issue to review. Is the gift of prophecy really part of the last day church? Well, we read Joel, and Joel talked about that. But in Revelation 12, 6 and 13 through 17, describes a never-ending attacks by Satan against his church. Clearly, there is a church when Jesus comes that is pure, that is holy. And the Bible talks about that in many, many places. But it says of that church in Revelation 12, 17, it says the dragon was wroth with the woman. Those are symbols in prophecy and what it means. Satan, the devil, is angry at the church. A woman represents a church. And went to make war with the remnant of her seed. That's the final group of people that becomes the church that's there when Jesus comes. And here's the quality of those people. Here's a characteristic of those individuals. They keep the commandments of God, and they have the testimony of Jesus. Oh, that's pretty interesting. So there's something about God's people that will be part of this definition of his remnant, his last group of individuals. These individuals have two distinct qualities. Quality number one, they keep God's commandments. And one of God's commandments relates to the Sabbath day. Quality number two, they have the testimony of Jesus. I want to be very complete here this morning to deal with this issue of the testimony of Jesus. It's easy to become very narrowed sometimes and we'd interpret the Bible, but that's a very deep phrase that's in the book of Revelation. The testimony of Jesus 
really in that book has two or three major understandings and purposes. Number one, the testimony of Jesus primarily alludes to the whole book of Revelation, which is Christ's testimony of what God is giving to us today. That's Revelation 1-2. Number two, the testimony of Jesus alludes to a testimony about Jesus, which Paul so eloquently noted, for I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. So the testimony of Jesus is we're testifying about him. We know him. He's a personal friend. So that's another thing the church at the end of time really will have. And point number three, and this is important, it says in Revelation 19.10, and John is speaking in first person, he says, I fell at his feet. He fell at the feet of an angel. I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said unto me, see thou do it not. Don't worship me, the angel was saying. That's happened twice. That happens twice in the book of Revelation. I am thy fellow servant. I'm a created being, John, just like you are. Don't worship me. I'm of your brethren, too, that have the testimony of Jesus. Oh, so he's now helping to get us ready to understand what this is. He said, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So now, as we look back upon Revelation 12, 17, two of the characteristics of God's true church is that they will be obeying the commandments of God, and they will also have the testimony of Jesus, which is a spirit of prophecy. They will have the prophetic gift inside of their church. God's last day church will have prophetic activity. Prophets are mentioned as having a peculiar office or part of the last day church. Ellen G. White was the first individual that was elevated to this role. That is one reason the Seventh-day Adventist Church is considered to be part of that remnant church that John talked about in Revelation 12. The Lord, she said by close and appointed truths for these last days, is cleaving out a people from the world and purifying themselves to him through God's word. She also said ministers and people have lost much by not dwelling more continually upon the work of our Redeemer. Did she say upon herself? No way, upon Jesus Christ. The closest relationship exists between God and his people and the ambassadors of God's truth should ever represent Jesus Christ. He should, he should be exemplified by precept and example. The love of God and those who are instructed by him are to be brought into a position where God's divine blessing can come upon individuals. 
the servants of God are to be earnest, penitent, trustful, thankful. Their lives should be living epistles known and read to all men, continually looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Do you see what she is doing? As a lady that's a prophetess, she is pointing us to Jesus. As a lady, as a prophetess, she's giving us message to come closer and closer to God, to become more and more spiritual in our thinking and our understanding, not to her, not to who she is, but to heaven itself. I'm grateful the Adventist church has a prophetess that meets the stringent biblical criteria for such a position. I'm glad we have a prophetess who, number one, loved Jesus, knew her Bible, had a deep burden for people, craved to see the face of Jesus Christ, and sought not to have attention to herself, but to others and to our Heavenly Father.